Welcome to, I guess, a bonus episode of Property Science. I mean, we'll put it out at the normal time, but it was recorded slightly weirdly. Wait, does that mean differently. we were? That means we were just going to take the week off, and th- don't tell them that. No, I mean this is it's, co- it's an episode of Property Science, but it was recorded in a slightly different manner to normal. Okay, as the keeper of of the Probably Science canon, which I guess I, I sort of am, as the guy who puts up the episodes. Am, yep. I, am I giving this one a number? Yeah, no, no, no we'll give it a number. This okay, will be a normal. Okay. This will be a, be a standard episode. So this will be canon. This will be canon. Okay. This is a canonical Official. episode. Yeah. Excellent. So what do the probably histories count as? Are they a separate timeline? They're a separate... Uh, it's a com- yeah. It's, it's like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. The probably histories actually sort of split when Spock went back. Um, yeah. And then it created a whole new thing. Yeah. So here's how this episode worked, and you'll find out more as the show goes on, obviously. Andy was in Texas... Um, Riding horses or something, mm-hmm. or so, attending tech seminars. Riding the horse that is corporate branding. <laughs> yes. Sure. Did you learn some good stuff at South by there, Andy? Oh you- my God, I sat through so many uh, corporate presentations for free Bloody Marys and buffet. <laughs> sure. It's incredible. They bought like you can't you can't pay for a drink if you try that whole week. But okay, so a Bloody Mary costs. I'm going to say. $12 if you're including at a, in Los Angeles yeah yeah how much is probably ch- much cheaper in Austin so I'm guessing sort of eight bucks maybe alcohol is really cheap in Texas it's actually surprisingly cheap for a, a even including a tip city yeah okay let's so call if it someone, if someone said hey do you want to sit if you sit through this 45 minute seminar I'll give you eight dollars would you have done it well if they threw in the buffet yeah <laughs> it's, it's more than eight do- and I didn't stay for the whole things so I would just be sitting there I would nod politely you show up for roll call Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you have to check in and give your email address. So I'm getting these follow-up emails from like Salesforce asking if they can help achieve our marketing goals. Like, no, yeah. I, I just wanted the mimosas. My I'm sister good. works for Salesforce. Oh, okay. Well, that's a great company. And, uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, no, South by was great. I also uh, there were there are tons of events. Um, you're talking about South by Southwest. I'm sorry, the I'm, festival. The uh, I don't have time for those two more syllables, Jesse. <laughs> That's all right, man. You going back to burning this year? <laughs> to B? To, B, to B, BM, which is not... <laughs> yeah. Um, no, South by Southwest Film Interactive uh, Comedy and Music Festival out in Austin. Um, yeah, they have everything. They have uh, tons of cool tech stuff. Uh, I, I stopped in to see a 3D printing demo. Okay. Which was meant for children, but I was right. the only one who... <laughs> sure. Was the you most were the most excited. ...eager participants. <laughs> they were printing um, parts to make, make DIY Mr. Potato Heads. Okay, that's great. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyhow, I, I, I cut you off, Matt. No, I think that was a valid detour. Yeah. So Andy was in Texas. Meanwhile, while we were in L.A., so was Well, first, Robinance. while we were in L.A., uh, Andy and I's neighbor apparently started doing scream therapy. <laughs> oh, yes, this which is, is, this is... I wish these mics were sensitive enough to hear the screams. Yeah, normally we record on Tuesdays, and we have the problem of that's when the neighbor's gardener shows up and mm-hmm. starts right. hedge, so that's leaf, hedge trimming. So that's leaf blower day. But, but then, then today we're like, no, it'll be fine today, obviously. We're uh, recording on a different day. We'll sit down. It'll be nice. It'll be we placid. Hit just the longest scream. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's like, doing primal scream therapy. Monday is, is John Lennon day. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, Plastic Ono Band day. Plastic Ono Band cover day. Mother! Yeah, me. Wow. So, 
So that's happening. So Robin Ince was in town doing Infinite Monkey Cage, which is his BBC show and podcast, along with Brian Cox. Yes. Uh, not, not the, not the uh, actor, superintendent Brian. of Rushmore or the first Hannibal Lecter. No. The, uh, instead, it's the science-y stands on a volcano telling you about how atoms work. Sure. Brian Cox. But also eats people. Oh, weird, yeah. weird side note. He does, but he... Yeah, he well, he's not being caught. So it's just a no. Bit, but he he's not the Robert Durst of the science world. Yeah, but he does that whole like he gets away with it in the physicist way of like we're all stardust, man. Yeah. you know, and then he just eats did, people. Did you guys keep the mic rolling after the recording ended to see if maybe he said, "What did I do? I killed them all, of course." I- Oh, we have a lot of yeah. We have a lo- jinx? lot of evidence on this guy. No, I haven't seen the. I, uh, I don't know anything about the Robert Durst thing. You got to watch the Jinx. Everybody has to watch the Jinx. It's the best. I do know f- friend of the show, very recent guest. Uh, Lorraine Newman knew him. No, how would she have known him? Uh, because he was really involved in that Hollywood. Um, the one he's now just been arrested for murder. The woman he's been arrested Susan for murdering. Berman, yeah. Uh, was really good friends with Lorraine. No way. She oh, had. Man. Yeah. Wow. So so. It could have been any of us, guys. <laughs> could have been any of us. Literally a totally random crime. <laughs> right. Could have been. You guys don't know the backstory? You don't even know, so you know why she was killed? Though? No, I just see it all over Twitter, and I'm yeah. like, eh, it sounds like something that uh, I'm not interested in. It's, like, uh, if you watch that and The Staircase, which you can see the entirety of on YouTube, and listen to Serial, um, you can pretty much learn how to get away with murder. Or I guess Serial is the opposite, but, um, yeah, like, it's, it's pretty easy to get away with murder as, as, a, as, a rich, as, a, as a white dude with some money. With a lot of money. Like an immense amount of money. Yeah, the staircase guy didn't have as much. You guys haven't seen the staircase either. No, what is no. the staircase? What's that about? That's this eight-part documentary about this novelist who probably killed his wife. She was found dead at the bottom of a staircase with tons of blood and massive head wounds. Um, and then they coincidentally named it the staircase too, which I find is yeah. is. But they did that before the murder even happened. Right. Wow. But with each episode, for some reason, the defense team allowed the camera crew to, to follow the inner workings of the defense. So you're learning things at the same time as the defense attorneys are. And it's all crazy shit that the guy should have told his lawyers right away. And they're like, how are we just fight? What? Like every episode has, I don't want to give away any, any more about it, but um, it's arguably crazier than the jinx. Okay. It's called The Staircase. It's all on YouTube. Wow. All right. Every time they catch a murderer, like a serial murderer, they always have like pretty much 100% of the time they're loaded up with books, you know, when they search their place on like, uh, like police interrogation techniques like the fbi field manuals you know like they they seriously yeah they, they like to like learn the other side to know exactly how this stuff works how these protocols work Wait, these are serial killers you're talking yeah. about these guys are these two people are not serial killers by the, the strict definition i bet they're just psychopaths and when something got in their way they were just like ah, god damn it I, right now i have to kill this person because serial yeah so i guess in the same way that a mafia Hitman is not a serial killer, right. even though they might have killed more people than most serial killers. Right. Um, like both of these guys didn't put that much thought into what they did. It wasn't really like they're evil geniuses. They're not ritualizing they're, it or no, no. Yeah. It was just like you have to watch both of them. Um, did I ever tell you? Have I ever talked on the show about the the murderer that I knew? Uh, no. There's the murderer who lived on your street. Yeah, oh my, it was my aunt and uncle's street. Okay. We must have talked about it on another Oh, we talked about the Cranley Garden thing, but this is a guy you oh, knew. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not... Um, um, yeah, no, Cranley Gardens is where I lived in sure, London for a sure. long time, and that had um, a famous serial killer, right. uh, Dennis Nielsen. But um, the guy who used to live opposite my aunt and uncle, mm-hmm. whose kids went to the same school and whose car I bought, 
the wife. Did I never talk about this? No, like the, no. The wife, like the the grandmother, came home one day and found the wife had been murdered, and there were step her stepdaughter. Uh, no, no, her daughter. Oh yeah. But um, there were tenuous signs of a break in. You know, scattered belongings. But very quickly, it was like, ah, this doesn't look like a much has been taken. Right. And then they did what they nearly always do in these cases, which is immediately arrest the husband. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it nearly always is. Right. Uh, or at least not arrest, but like bring him in for questioning. Uh, and very quickly, like he was very suspicious. He bought a new shirt that morning on the way into work for some reason on his credit card. And right. Th- right. There, were, there were various, there were various signs. Killyourwife.com like, newsletter. Well, here was the thing that got him convicted instantly. Uh, they found his cyan personal organizer on which he had a step-by-step list of how he planned to kill his wife and he hadn't deleted that file. That counts as evidence. Uh, that that does evidence. count as evidence. Yeah, that's empirical. Particularly when it sort of matched up with how... With like, you, you know, It was yeah. like, knock phone off hook, scatter contents of purse. Right. Like, oh, that's that's something that happened. Yeah. Huh. When you see the jinx, then you're going to be surprised because there were things almost that blatant, and he still didn't get convicted. He still got away with it. And there was something that was found, a couple things during the course of the documentary, where you're like, the person who found that right now, I bet he knew it already existed, but didn't. It's really, it's actually quite hard to convict people if your lawyers aren't total shit, like your defense lawyers. Like, uh, you know, that's why a lot of people get convicted, of course, uh, lower income public defender yeah you know what i mean and, and but i mean like um like if there's no murder weapon if they don't find a murder weapon it, it's like okay well you can kind of get out of there you know it, yeah. it's stuff like that but again it all is so dependent on lies i was just um no but so much is considered circumstantial yeah unless it i mean it, which is ridiculous everyone knows you did it you're sitting there and you you're yeah. like you're like laughing while they're checking in the evidence they have you know but if there's no fingerprint it's like yeah okay there's an amazing new yorker article i actually reread last night weirdly enough um i think it's new yorker in fact i'm sure it is and it's about a guy who was almost certainly wrongly executed Mm -hmm. in texas uh for killing his family for killing his kids in an arson attack and he all the way through professed that it was a, a accidental fire like an electrical fire or whatever and he um but the really interesting thing is he was convicted on the back of evidence from these arson investigators. And it, it turns out that for years, and possibly still in some cases, fire investigation is based on no real scientific evidence. Really? Yeah, like it's all these sort of folklore, old wife tales, ideas of like the guy who convicted him testify things like, well, there was definitely signs of an accelerant, of a liquid accelerant, like gasoline or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um he got from these brown stains on the carpet and from the fact that they're 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 from the there's v-shaped markings on the wall that showed three different ignition points for the fire mm-hmm. and then there's this other guy who's come in more recently who's a real scientist with actual who right. does actual science and a few other science investigators who've now done the real experiments where they burnt houses down and done the things that real scientists do have actually controlled tests right and it's sh- and shown that None of it's all bullshit. The brown markings that for years they were going, this is a sign of this is a definite sign of um, liquid accelerant. That's just from a combination of melted metal and wood um, and the fire hose. Um, oh. And the different ignition points come from the way when it reaches flashover, um, 
when the sounds like a thing yeah yeah, when the flame flash when it reaches a certain point where the radiant heat in the house is actually enough to start spontaneously igniting things Mm -hmm. which is the point that the fire becomes goes from being really dangerous to just everything explodes being an expert it it ignites at different points like different points actually yeah or not randomly but not with any but like the sofa the the sofa will just suddenly burst into flames and that same kind of marking will appear that they were claiming and like every single one there were like 10 different points on this guy's report that sent this guy to the gas chamber or to um to lethal injection and each of them was <laughs> gas chamber gas oh, chamber. That's, never, yeah, wow that's the chamber are, no those those are that's a thing they that's do. a that thing is, that for, is a for yeah that's a thing i think i don't know anyway. no it is you can get uh that that's a th- that's a thing in capital punishment i don't know if they're doing it anymore they can't fucking like didn't somebody just uh, successfully request uh, a firing squad in Utah? Yeah, news? because Utah keeps botching their executions with these these like uh, formulas. For, it, it's like we're. It's so what's happened is gradually the people who are anti-capital punishment, which I count myself very much one of, um, but they're starting to go to these chemical companies um, that are supplying the lethal injection drugs often based in European countries that don't have the death penalty, and going like, what the fuck are you doing? You're supplying sodium, pentothal, or whatever it is, and these barbiturates to these American prisons. And there's been enough of an outcry that they've actually started to stop selling them to them. So these various states are running out of the lethal injection chemicals. So they're just trying different concoctions. They're trying different stuff, and it's uh, not working. Like, one guy, it took like four hours two weeks ago. This guy's just oh, that, that recently. I didn't yeah, know about that. it's just brutal, Ugh. absolutely brutal. And and Matt, to to jump on what you were saying really quick, um, I know a few expert witnesses where it's like you know if you if you do your job long enough, eventually someone will contact you and be like, hey, will you just be an expert witness? You get so and so amount of money, and every now and then you have to testify. Yeah, and you you don't do it to you know with a point of view. You just do it, but it's like extremely. Uh, it's, it's not really that difficult. It's just sort of like who's on board to do this. Yeah, yeah and in and these it, cases, it determines so many outcomes of of court cases. Yeah, and with this case, I mean, it was a classic example of he had an inept public defender who didn't even believe that he was innocent himself, and um, no ability to cross examine these expert witnesses who were, who basically sort of had this aura of expertise based on no no scientific credentials yeah. other than just experience and having passed a couple of tests. And was, well, there, they, was there a motive? No, that's the thing. The, the crime was totally motiveless. They tried to link a few things that, like, again, because small town Texas, he had an Iron Maiden poster that had skulls and imagery of death oh. on it, and he had, like, a snake tattoo and stuff like that. And you go, like, oh, so he's definitely a sociopath or into one of the biggest rock bands of all time. Yeah. Like he's either he's either a sociopath killer or a fan of a very very popular music group. Sure. Um, Don't you and- feel like if you were in that guy's shoes, I, this is just this is uh, the definition of white privilege. But uh, you would somehow be able to convince. Like, if you lost your whole family through no fault of your own, don't you think you could like cry hard enough or something? Where like. You guys are going to kill me after I lost my family accidentally. Like, th- that you would have some power in the fact that truth was on your side. You know well, what I mean? Like, well, some, here's the th- uh, one of the reasons why he was, he was executed. He was offered life... He was a dick. Uh, he was offered That's a life problem. imprisonment plea bargain. <laughs> it. 
and he said if you admit guilt life imprisonment and he refused to take it he's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna admit to having killed my kids when i didn't yeah of course yeah like um, of course but uh andy no no you can't you cry hard enough you can uh, be, well, you could be, well, be convincing well, enough this is the problem every <laughs> yeah. every one of your behaviors after the fact get can get twisted either way yeah. like yeah a, a good enough prosecutor and a good enough like uh, a a press that's out for you enough can twist like he was any any kind of bewilderment or he was flustered or he he was he was too upset so it seemed like he was faking it or he wasn't upset enough so it seemed like he didn't he did kill them like every every behavior every behavior can be twisted towards the 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 evidence that you want and that's also started jerking off during the testimony (laughs) you know he he, uh guys uh let's talk a little about this episode because then we got to get this we got to get this puppy going that didn't mean this to be a true crime no so it turned very true crime uh so robin ince and brian cox were in town yes and we were going backwards and forwards trying to meet up with them robin i know i've known for years through uk stand-up but i brian i don't know so robin was very kindly helping to sort the whole thing out and we finally managed to pin them down to a very short amount of time backstage while they were sound checking for the show which is the montevan theater so the sound is going to be a bit echoey and weird we're in a small dressing room using the zoom recorder but and we recorded we we weren't able to interview them at the same time so so uh, we got something like we got a sort of half standard episode with robin where we got to go through a few science stories few science stories for about around 25 minutes to 30 and then brian is a very busy man because he's a a theoretical physicist um who's does a million press junkets it felt like a press junket didn't it it felt almost like if it felt like a press junket if it was a press junket with well the robin part someone i've known for a long time who's a fellow comic and then and then Robin, le- I thought Robin, I thought Brian was just going to sit in with us, with all of us for a few minutes. But instead, what happened was Robin went, I'll just go off now and get Brian. And then he went downstairs and never returned. I guess he then became busy helping with because the other guests on the show were showing up, um, namely Eric Idle. Sure. And and other celebs. I weirded Eric Idle out, man. I, I weirded him out. And, um, you know, I'm glad I did it. Uh, what'd you say? <laughs> did, you, what'd you say? <laughs> did you actually say something to him? Yeah, no, it was when I was leaving because I went back up to get the gear and then he's standing down there and I go, oh, excuse me, excuse me. Cause he was like kind of in my way. Like he wouldn't, because he's an old person. So it's like at the grocery store. It's still annoying. So I'm like, <laughs> just, Carol famous, you are yeah, slow. Give a shit, Eric Idle. Get out of my, hey, be less idle and uh, no. get, out of my, get out of my way. And um, he's like, oh, excuse me. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to, if I could just, if I could just uh, scooch on, oh, it's, uh, Eric Idle. <laughs> <laughs> like, so you did that sort of thing with a famous person of just saying their name at them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, woo. <laughs> <laughs> People do. Can but I like, stare at you? Once you're at that level of, because someone like like any of the Pythons aren't just famous; they're kind of iconic. Uh, yeah. So they they must be so used to people being kind of weird around them, and yeah. Just everyone's got to be a train wreck around you. Uh, no, it wasn't that bad. I was just kind of in my head about it for five minutes and then thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, so we interviewed these guys separately. So the first interview you're going to hear is Robin. Uh, we have him for a little longer than Brian. And then we're going to come back and we're going to uh, come back here where we're recording now and be like, and then, uh, and then it'll be Brian time. Because we had about half an hour in between where I think I went and pooped and uh, Matt was on his phone for a bit. And we, you know, it's, yeah. it's not interesting. 
So, and I haven't heard any of this, so I'm very curious. How yeah, this went down. it's exciting. I'm also kind of hoping this doesn't get the too many downloads because I have to admit it does hurt my ego a little bit that the episode <laughs> you guys and I, you guys did without me. It's just called Matt and Jesse is like the fifth most downloaded episode <laughs> of the entire podcast. Like it was like really? finally you got to quit. You got to quit looking at those numbers. I, I shouldn't. I, I don't even know I, how to look at the numbers. I look at them all the time. I, I'm a numbers <laughs> guy. I like looking at numbers and getting angry. Um, so yeah, I guess if you're already listening this far, it's too late. You've you've already. It already counts as a listen, so thanks, but no thanks. Um, also, you know, if you want to, if you want to donate stuff to us, um, let's just go ahead and say you can do it if yes. you want. How yeah, do well, you do that, guys? Well, should we thank some people in between the two in between the two interviews? All right. Well, yeah. But you can go to probablyscience.com, where we also post links to the stories we cover, and I'll post a link to that New Yorker article because it's very interesting. Yeah, we're not always hanging out with like Eric Idle and stuff. So if you want to donate money, uh, that's. Um, you know, you can do, you go to probablyscience.com. Com. There's a little donate button. And it's also where you can find the Amazon link, which you should always click before doing any shopping there because it costs you nothing extra and kicks a little money back to us. So with that in mind, here is Robin Ince. All right. Well, this is a bonus episode. This is the least scientific recording of an American <laughs> science podcast in which the majority of the time spent has been going, we're still crackling, that's not working. We'll just unplug it then. I think there's something wrong with the USB. Oh, never mind. There's definitely something yeah, wrong with the this USB. Is, uh, <laughs> this is like one of those great moments where years ago when I was doing a show with uh, Simon Singh and Simon Singh ended by uh, electrocuting a gherkin to um, illustrate redshift and uh, of course bloody gherkin wouldn't wire up properly would it? What's a, what's a gherkin? Uh, a pickle, gherkin is oh it's, it's a pickle cucumber pickle cucumber yeah See, pickle here's cucumber a, here's what I notice Matt and I have been doing this show for a long time of course with, with our other host Andy who's uh, in Austin right now and when we have fellow Brits on Matt gets so fucking British and uh, I just I just like not be for once this is going to be a, no, a situation where I'm going to you're going to be the minority I, I understand you'll be outnumbered and I understand the comfort like I understand that that's a beautiful thing but it really I mean what I, we came in here you guys were immediately slanging I have no idea you know, my USB cold slagged off and uh, now it, I mean, it needs to be in hospital and I'm just, you know, you surely you say the word hospital. You have hospitals here. Don't, oh no, you no, don't because Obamacare still is going yeah, through no, that. Exactly. Would, no, yeah, that's fair enough. Panels and what? No, but we say in the hospital. Yeah. You guys always just drop the if you're in hospital. Ah. Yeah, which that is a difference. I've well, it's, there's a general the, the kind of posher people you meet, the lazier in language. Like, there's a point where you just don't really bother with prepositions, and then when you meet people who are incredibly sort of yes, she doesn't really need to announce because you don't understand. You don't. Understand. Oh, yeah, that's like and that's big, just like David Bowie you, level, uh, but beyond Bowie. This wow. is this is uh, noblemen whose family line died out many many years ago. Okay. Uh, are, there are a few vestigial elements of a certain level of nobility from Britain. Okay. These are people who think that the Queen is common. Wow. Which, by explaining that to Americans, like, explaining the classes to Americans, they're like, okay, so the Queen is at the top. Like, no, not even yeah. close. <laughs> right. Not even, not even, I, I say maybe three quarters of the way up. Wow. There's people who definitely look down on the Queen for being yeah. New money and common. The moment that in any way in your personal family history there's a moment where you came over, even if that was coming over <laughs> with the French of course. in 1066, of course. oh, you're the group that came over. Yeah. You don't, you're not directly linked to Boudicca, Bodicea. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So that does occur, yeah. Yeah. You didn't evolve. Yeah, this is... Uh, on this continent. Oh, right. You didn't come... You came with Eric von Daniken's spaceship. Yeah. You didn't come <laughs> from the uh, primordial... My, my family tree is such a stump. It, no, no one could read until about 100 years ago. 
in my family. They all came over as sharecroppers. So I assume Irish sharecroppers, Appalachian. So uh, there's just nothing. I've gone to those websites, and it just goes back to, like, 1920. There's just nothing. There's nah, no one knew. You know, I assume just everyone had, like, no one had a last name. It's just mayhem. <laughs> Why give them a last name? They probably won't live beyond the age of three. Yeah, you no. know, that kind of... That kind see, of whenever deal. I see, like, when you just said a family tree, the first thing I see underneath it is a lawnmower and a, a bloodied and removed ear. Because, unfortunately, the work of David Lynch has affected pretty much any horticultural image that I have of America. Why is that? Yeah, I think it's just that, that moment where you see... Uh, I can't remember, does, uh, does Karl McLaughlin's dad, is it, he kind of have, does he have an aneurysm where he falls near the buzzing and then we, we pan out to an ant-covered and bloodied ear? No, I'm with you on the Lynch visions. I get them all the time, you know. Uh, that's a wonderful thing about living in L.A. It's constant Lynch uh, influence, you know, everywhere you go. Um, even if it's just like like... You have to, to put up with it here, because then that way, like, a used condom on the sidewalk can become beautiful, you know, if you, if you think about it that way. Um, but I don't remember Lynch's horticultural work. Um, it's just, it's Blue Velvet, it's just the biggest oh, Velvet, okay, yeah, that, that's right. I remember when I came over here a few years ago, and I went to San Francisco, and I was with my wife, and we were both very tired, because we'd just arrived, obviously a big change uh, in time, and we went to see Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. uh, which, when you're jet-lagged, and my wife just kept falling asleep, and then she'd wake up, and she'd go, oh, what's happened, what have I missed? And I said, well, in some ways, narrative-wise, all I can tell you is they're now kind of in a karaoke bar, <laughs> and someone may well actually be a prostitute and not actually a, a film star, and that person may be dead, and there was a man with an enormous beard who was behind a cafe. But I don't think you need to worry about it. <laughs> I don't think. I think it's in some ways it enhances Lynch's vision to right. be tremendously jet lagged. Robin, let me ask you this: Do you think David Lynch is messing with us in like the Brian Eno sense, where he knows that everyone else will be so insecure that they don't get it, they'll pretend to get it? So it's one of those things like if you're at a modern art gallery and everyone, oh, yeah, yeah, mm. But everyone's really like, I hope I look like I get this because everyone else does. Well, that's what I think is yeah. interesting. Is I, He may well have a, a specific kind of vision for each film, but I think it's the fact that we as humans are so hooked up on the being a narrative. I think once you go to a David Lynch film, there may well be underneath it all, all manner of sure. kind of exuberant narratives, but the main thing is, just enjoy the spectacle. Enjoy what's come from his mind. You know, when you watch something like Inland Empire, I don't. If you just think, but what's it about? What's the plot? Right. Well, you're missing half of the the enjoyment. I think of it. It's just like we we feel that everything has to mean something. That must mean something. Sometimes stuff just is. You know, the detritus from from the imagination, and it happens to be kind of beautiful detritus. That's why I I think I've trained myself a lot better now to go. If I get hooked on mm. on desperately needing to know everything about Naomi Watts's character and why this is as it is then I won't actually enjoy the spectacle of it all it's very European of you we demand answers we need simplified <laughs> I think most people do we and need, I understand we need that. broken down we need, we need good guy bad guy we need you know it's like the, the George W. Bush thing we need evildoers and then we need heroes and then it's, it's simple you know um, Speaking of answers, we should probably get on to science because yeah, that's why yeah, we're yeah, 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 okay, You're yeah, in the sorry. middle of your infinite sorry. monkey cage tour. Yeah, or the end of it now. Well, we're at the fun. end, but it's kind of the middle, but the end. We've done. Uh, we started off in New York, and uh, then we did Chicago, and then we've had four days in LA for for no particular reason apart from someone wanted to spend four days in LA, and then we're doing LA, and then spending about seven hours in San Francisco to record the final show. Oh, so we're halfway through the tour, but at the same time, there's still only 26 hours of the tour left. Right. Now let me ask you this, when I walked in and saw the banner, you know, the big promotional banner, uh, it's you and Brian, 
uh, Brian Cox, and uh, you're both on typewriters. You're a typewriter guy. Well, do you know what I used to be? I would. Uh, I mean, I am old enough to remember a time that when I first used to write scripts, I delivered those scripts. Right. I walked through London to take the sketches in for whatever poor you know yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. And I do like you know when I watch someone like Harlan Ellison, the the, the, the great. Uh, well, I think he's a great writer, Harlan Ellison. And you see him just banging away on one of his clay. And the res- you know, it's a bit like an old car. You know, you see an old car. It's going to be great to drive that old car. But once you're driving that car that is predominantly made out of wood, you go again. It's the spectacle of the car right. versus the practicality of the car. And I think in the same way as I would love to just use a typewriter in, in a certain way, but then equally I would like to get things done and I I, yeah eventually things need to be published Jesse has a sideline in maintaining and repairing typewriters for a, for a niche group of people for a very niche group of people they're freaks you go you meet them it's the weirdest um, and you are absolutely right it is so fucking frustrating because I have to justify that I use them like I have to justify that I have all these machines so I'll write stuff on it but then I end up converting it to a computer to mail it to send it to someone like if I'm writing a sketch yeah, you type it on the typewriter. Do you do like character recognition scanning, or do you just send it as an image of the thing you typed in? No, no, I, I I just retype it because then I consider that another draft. But it's a it's a nightmare. It's bad for thriller writing as well. We were talking about this yesterday, which is the sad thing. Which is you know, computers have meant that, for instance, cutting out of individual letters for ransom notes, or indeed Agatha Christie style mm-hmm. thrillers, where they used to go, show me that R again. There's right. something a little. You couldn't now go, show me that font again. I think I know exactly. His computer's slightly broken. You can. And his comic sounds, you know. You still can slightly because the printer still has distinct signatures. What if they if just emailed them. you from some kind of. I was watching oh, Cyber last night. Yeah. But uh, so. also on a typewriter, you know, you can really tell based on how dark the ink is how passionate the person was during mm-hmm. a phrase. Well, now all we have is caps lock. That's how you know this, you're dealing with someone that's upset. Well, that's a good point. You know what I mean? But I think if you could, you could read like a passionate word. Yeah, I mean, you can do bold and stuff now. But yeah, I think typewriters had an effect. <laughs> That's lovely. Just a, I've looked at this typewriter and ransom note again. Do you know what? It's just very... He's obviously not really into the kid. <laughs> 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 he has died. I will keep Jennifer until you send her. It's just a little, 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 Oh, fair way. Yeah, it's it's quite cool. apathetic Should about the whole thing. Should be in a cement hole, but oh, I'll just leave it at the bridge. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, Infinite Monkey Cage. Yeah. Um, sorry, we keep getting off topic, which is all we do on this show, on our show. Um... Infinite Monkey Cage. It's you got. You're a, uh, obviously renowned, very very funny um, stand-up comic. Um, uh, Brian Cox, renowned keyboard player. Keyboard player. Dabbles yeah. in science. Yeah. Uh, and you got. You guys. We're not meant to mention that, right? Does he still? Yeah. Oh no, you're not meant to mention the science. <laughs> <laughs> it makes real scientists really angry. No, it's, uh, he, he's never. I, I don't think there's any. The, the, the saddest thing that Brian is uh, um, a keyboard was a keyboard player. He was in a band, but D Ream, who are not really known in the US, we looked at their charting position for things can only get better, and and it wasn't that high in the US. But previously, he things could only get better. In, that's what it, yeah, yeah, and, and it became yeah, yeah. the theme tune, which of course, as he has said in the past, actually breaks with the uh, the, the very nature of the universe and, and the idea of entropy. Yeah. Uh, but um, the uh, he was in a rock band called Dare. And that's much better when you see the kind of rocking out particle physicist in marble wash ripped jeans <laughs> where the entire band are joined by one perm. You know that kind of thing? They yeah. formed a band because they all led down at the same time and they dropped something on the bus. They became enmeshed I and guess. therefore for two years they talked with Jimmy Page. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Sharing a hairdo is yeah, yeah. very new. Wow. Wow. 
Um, so then you guys, you guys start the show, and you're and you're doing it for BBC. Yeah, it's for BBC, and then it goes out in Australia on ABC, and uh, I think in the, in the US it's just podcast generally that's listened to. to A lot of people listen to it. Yeah, it's, it, do you know what? It's, it's nice. To, I mean, the, the good thing is on the tour. So far, it's kind of uh, you know it's it, it sold out, and we're getting away with it. This may well change in LA. I realise that you people have very little time, and you might just have to move out halfway through the gig. But it's uh, but it's been interesting. Yeah, they'll be into it. They'll just be texting. Yeah, no, they, uh, <laughs> it is strange that you picked a twenty capacity room. Yeah, not that hard to sell out. I mean, uh, you know, we went down there and, and took a look, and it is just some folding chairs set up. Yeah, you and also the speed in which we're travelling inside the room as well has changed the capacity to some extent. Though. Absolutely, so but, but you, you did say, you know, we're supposed to meet you in a dressing room at a theatre, and then we come down here and you set up a box yeah. on the street. Yeah, which I've never seen a literal black box theater. Which I enjoy the spray painting. If you've not seen that before, there's a lot of LA comedy clubs you don't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's no, I know. LA does more um, than any, I think, more than any other city. Set up a room in anything. I mean, like there's a, there's one in a Chinese restaurant that's one of the best gigs in town. Like it's one of the sure, definitely sure. one of the better gigs. That's one. Like, oh, you got to It's hard to get into. Like it's hard to get booked for the. Uh, you've really got to know someone to get the Chinese restaurant gig. See, that's sad because the Chinese restaurant very much used to be the home of the Elvis impersonator. And to think that these young <laughs> comedians have managed to have forced out the Elvis impersonator for their wry take on life. I know. Mm. The, well, the Elvis impersonators have had to move on to Thai. It's very, uh, it's rough. They actually have. I know. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I really have. There's one in Thai Plaza just off Hollywood that's... Has, yeah, I think every Monday is it. There's an Elvis guy in there, yeah, absolutely. and then, then there's the one next to Public House that's got an Elvis. Yeah, it might be. The, I don't know whether it's the same Elvis or not. They're not allowed to be seen in the same room together, otherwise yeah. it kills the <laughs> mystery. Yeah. yeah, they both they both die right away. Obviously, if any kid asked, it's just one of Elvis's helpers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Elvis has many many mall Elvis. You know, that it's, it's one of Elvis's helpers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we. We should try and get into some stories because we don't have oh, much okay. time. I don't know. We, we, uh, sure. Do you, do you want to go biology or physicsy or? What are you going to want to go into? You tell me. Uh, people walking oh, walking. you close the door. I suppose that would have been an idea, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I like a little bit of atmosphere. Yeah, that's fine. This. Oh, hey. Oh yeah. So you guys have also dressing set up uh, the floor above all the nicer ones. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, just keep that in. Can I just keep this in, right? This this ass who I've never met before in my life. Oh, you've got a gig in a box. Not just a gig. It turns out, do you know that? The nicer dressing rooms. Not just one dressing room. Not just a urinal on some kind of blue block. No, there's it's a big blue block, I know. There's no other show happening. They put you in the yeah. shitty dressing room. <laughs> I've had that before, though. I've done theatre shows before where you, find, you eventually find out there's a huge dressing room just yeah. next door and they go, yeah, but that's for the chorus. Yeah. <laughs> just me and him on the bill <laughs> like, there's only two of us doing the show I know I know um, well, yeah so, let's run Robin through a science story here well a few people sent this one in um, oh this is me being a genius because uh, my computer isn't connected to the internet alright I've got a backup buddy uh, well done uh, Alzheimer's might be treated by ultrasound in mice Justin Broad listener sent that one in see I just find some of the MySpace stories on the way out here I was reading uh, um, Wild Magazine and they are making human livers in mice very small human livers obviously and I find Steinbeck when, very important yeah the uh, it's just uh, it, I, I find that 
remarkable. You know, when you look and you go, this is the future. This is this the, the idea that ultrasound and outside because we are, you know, we're the second generation that have experienced, uh, you know, really. Because people go, why are there all these things now? Because people have lived long enough. They died before. They had tuberculosis at the age of thirty. They left their book of poetry. Now we're old, and so there are old people diseases. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, like... It's a sad image, though, the mouse in a maze, and then, yeah... Have you ever read Flowers for Algernon? Yes, I have. See, that's, a great, that's probably one of my favourite uh, MySpace science fiction books. Yes, it is a great MySpace it's book. Brilliant book. It's uh, a good MySpace book. Um, yeah, I think so. I enjoy that, that, uh, that website, myspace.com. Um, have you got the story up there, Jesse? Or are we just having technical Don't kill my joke. Um, well, <laughs> See, just, do you know what? He didn't even acknowledge it. That, is, that, that duel between the two of you is like seeing a very elderly British TV series no, starring Roger Moore and Tony Curtis it was, called The Persuaders. It was, it was very passive-aggressive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the listeners can't see it, but he did slap me. Um, That's actually aggressive-aggressive. That is. That's a double... Uh, so... There's, there's not in the form of a drug. They found a new weapon in the fight against Alzheimer's disease. Who, you ask? Scientists, that's who. Um, while the approach Is this one of these articles that's written in a kind of chatty way? No, I just forgot the first word, so I threw that in. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, while the approach has only been tested in mice, researchers said on Wednesday it proved surprisingly good at clearing tangles of plaques linked to Alzheimer's in the animal's brains and improving their memory, as measured by tests such as navigating a maze, the go-to, mm. go-to mouse test. Uh, in the past, high-energy ultrasound has been combined with injected microbubbles, which vibrate in response to sound waves to get drugs across the so-called blood-brain barrier. But the new research, this is published, of course, in uh, the journal Science Translational Medicine, one of my personal favorites, um, uh, it's the first demonstration that ultrasound alone might have a beneficial effect on the memory-robbing condition. So old people should get pregnant more, I think, is the, is the go-to. Get those ultrasounds. Um, yeah, and trick them into putting their head in the right place. Absolutely. So they have to get brain pregnant. So you're saying that in some way... See, I'm not sure this pregnant thing's going to work out. Well... So they have to start... The baby must gestate in their own skull. That's, I'm sure if they just ask, they'll turn them, They'll let them have a go in the machine. No, I've got a brain baby! I'm having a little brain baby! So they, alt- they treated these mice and gave them Alzheimer's. They genetically altered them to produce amyloid plaques. Um, and the ultrasound almost completely cleared the plaques in 75% of the animals without apparent damage to brain tissue. While there's some debate as to whether the plaques are a cause or symptom of Alzheimer's, the experiment found that the treated mice had improved memory as measured by three different tests compared with untreated ones. So it works by stimulating the uh, microglial cells, which we've talked about the glial cells before. We have. Um, which forms It's my favorite cell. It, it's a good cell. Uh, it forms part of the brain's immune system, and it's to engulf and absorb the plaques. So it, it stimulates those, then they, uh, they go after those plaques. But they want to stress, of course, the research is at a very early stage. Don't go buy an ultrasound machine and, uh, you know, give, give yourself an ultrasounding. Um, ultrasound devices capable of penetrating the human brain are already being tested for other conditions, with Israeli company Insitec pioneering it for tremors and chronic pain. Dementia, which Alzheimer's is the most common form, affects close to 50 million people worldwide, and that number is set to reach 135 million by 2050, according to Alzheimer's Disease International. So, uh, you know, we got to get on this. See, my, my work, th- this is one of these ones that, one of these times that real medicine feels so close to bullshit pseudo-medicine. I know. Like it's, it's like if they found out crystal therapy did something. Yeah, or magnets really do help you play sports. 
swing a golf club. Well, there's, I mean, that, the thing with most of those ideas is there's nothing wrong with the initial idea until it's tested and it doesn't work. So there may well, who knows what, you know, thing yeah. that we may think is bullshit now. It's just the case that once it, you know, fails all of the tests <laughs> and fails to have any effect, then we go, well, this is bullshit. We don't start off by going, magnets, it's bullshit. But honestly, it will help lift the car and move. No, we don't believe even in right. the existence of magnets. So magic what you do is you go, well... There's kind of different way that the the way that you're thinking of the iron in the blood and the way it well it's not the same oh look never mind yeah you know, that's <laughs> so I think that's you know, the, you're right there are you know, a lot of the medicine we use now kind of does start off almost as appearing to be shamanism yeah that's and a good then, point but, but once the shamanism passed the test that's okay everything ever all science starts with a hunch yeah all right. I and like the fact that in the news uh, um, store just around the corner, newsstand, uh, that the Reiki magazine was directly next to the copy of The Skeptic. <laughs> and I, I thought, you know, I wondered if there will be, is, will there be perhaps the memory of previous skeptics that have a effect on, on the Reiki? But there's, you know, all of those things, I, I, I think, you know, you've got to make sure that you start off by going, well, okay, I'll read further. I'm not immediately right. going to say this is bullshit. And then normally in the second paragraph, you go, oh, it's a little bit. It's, it's like, you know, the, I was yeah. talking last night about the film What the Bleed Do We Know, uh, which I'm sure you've seen. You've seen I haven't. I've seen clips from it. Yeah, I'm one of the only people who've nearly sat through all of it. It's 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 all bullshit, right? The entire what it does is it has science in it, but then it doesn't show you. It kind of then goes into something that's not science without pretending. You know, so they go. Um, here's a double slit experiment. This is what double slit experiment shows us about the behaviour of particles. Look at the interference pattern. La 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 la. Right there, and you watch all that, and you go, no no no, that that that's that's right. And then it'll go cut to a man in a desert with a beard who'll go, and that's why the brain can travel in time. The time travel right. nature, and, and, and you go, whoa, whoa 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 whoa, we're missing out at least two sentences or another bit of animation there. Right. Before you can't just go with the double slit experiment, and so ghosts. Hang on, but you know this is exactly. And I think that's a very common problem which is and it's easy as a non-scientist myself I you know there are things where I go I'd better read that again no there is no join that the paragraphs are next to each other <laughs> right. that doesn't mean they're ultimately connected yeah didn't what the bleep have a There's lot of scientists who were used in the film and then later went well I were later furious that they were taken completely out of context I've watched the very long version of it again not all of it where there's no names that actually go up with the people you're watching so you can't even then think do you know what mm. so you do also have that lovely thing where you go well that person is sitting next to a blackbird a blackbird a blackbird yeah. uh, <laughs> they, they always sit next to blackbirds because they're very lucky for scientific experiments <laughs> I don't know. No. but then they're sitting next to a blackboard and there's loads of equations on it and you think well they must know what they're talking about I mean well, they might just wheel the blackboard in I, I don't know I have all often, the films have equations and said this experts love expert props and it makes me not trust their expertise if I am at a doctor's office getting a physical and they have one of those anatomy charts on the wall I want a doctor that's off book don't look at the chart what do you do I want a blank room oh that'll be the leg <laughs> right uh, your knee elbow seems to be uh, oh, I'm sorry I'm the uh, mm. So, yeah, yeah. that's part of it in terms of documentaries I don't because I don't think the scientists you know that moment you watch one with Richard Dawkins and they have to have a shot of him in his office just pulling down a copy of The Origin of Species and going hmm right Finches hello I'm Richard Dawkins <laughs> and you think he didn't want to do that he didn't say do you know the way I always start the day I just take down on The Origin of Species yeah. look at a finch I always before talking I always read a paragraph and then, <laughs> of the book so <laughs> again that idea that we have to add that bit of narrative to go Oh, you can trust this person. They own books. They right. take them out. Sometimes when they notice the camera, it's actually been there for quite a while. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, if you're 
expertise prop. Like obviously, if you're a, uh, if you're doing an interview on the news and you're a geography expert, you have a globe sitting next to you. I get it. But in things like what the bleep do we know? If your expert prop just is the desert, then I don't I don't want to I don't care what you have to say. Yeah. There's a lot of work these days for bearded desert scientists. I think there's like five of them. You know what I mean? It's an unbroken. And yeah, they're a long thin beard, aren't they? They are, and they—they're the ones that got kicked out of the Thai restaurants when the Elvis. It's—it's <laughs> it's been a huge problem. I would like to see more. <laughs> Instead of having that shot where you see the scientists reach into their bookcase, if it just was always a shot of them on a trampoline or a pogo stick, so you just have them yep. buying, buying, <laughs> right. buying. Hello, <laughs> Richard Dawkins. A little bit out of breath on this pogo stick. Right, be much better. Well, when you see commercials for lawyers, they're always sitting in a leather chair in front of a bookcase. They have their own library. Learn the laws, man. I want to see a guy on a toilet doing the Sudoku. Hire me. Are you injured? Hire me. I know. I already. I do Sudoku all day because I know all the laws. Chapter three B, paragraph seven. You're acquitted. <laughs> I know. Just have an enormous portrait of Raymond Burr behind them. <laughs> You know Raymond Burr? No, didn't get the reference, laughed anyway. Oh, Jesus. I trust Ray- Raymond Burr. Who, right, uh, who is the, the most famous TV uh, um, guy who always got him off? Oh. Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. Raymond Burr played Perry Mason, then he played Ironside. He played both. Yeah, not the same. To, that, that would be. <laughs> at one point, they meant to met, and a new universe was created. Yeah. By the way, Peter Kay played both, like the guy in the wheelchair and the bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> so. Man. Um. Uh, we do. We have a correction because oh, a, a couple of people sent of in. All the time. Yeah, we like it when people email in with what we got wrong. Uh, I was worried it was about what we were just talking about, which hasn't even actually gone there. <laughs> and then going, oh, for fuck's sake, morphic resonance is real. Then it turns out, the yeah, collective yeah. Consciousness astral is projection. In. Very. Oh. Yeah, we we get a. It's from an Atlantean. Uh, they they write in. <laughs> um, I just love that. Um, while we're here, Matt was trying to get on the Wi-Fi, and the Wi-Fi names, one of them is called Don't Even Try It, all caps. Yeah. Uh, that's great. One of them is called Hawking, appropriately enough. We have Hawking and Heathrow. Heathrow. Weird. British one. Eminem's Residence. Um, we should say we are backstage at a wonderfully, uh, at, at the uh, Ricardo Montalban. Theatre, who was uh, Khan in the uh, yeah. in Star Trek: Into the Khan, and of course, obviously, in the earlier television episode as well. Did he yeah. build? Do you reckon he built the theatre himself off the back of the proceeds, or do you reckon he just gave his name to the venue? No, it's, it's run by his son. Really? Yeah, in memory of him, and he was in Spy Kids, of course. He's great at Spy Kids. Yeah, so I bring him up just because it's a nice. He you know, really it's a nice. It's a very nice theatre. That original episode and the, I mean, that original episode and then the movie. You know, because they were supposed to be in what cryostasis or something, and then he yeah. really changed. He changed a lot, but man, that guy's great. Yeah, Rafikhan's so good. And then, and then there's a beautiful theater that was made off the off the back of it. Yeah, just yeah. quoting Moby Dick the whole time. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Um, What's our correction, man? Gerbils didn't cause the bubonic plague at all. No. Oh, I didn't know about the gerbils. I, I always thought they were the those great big. Uh, that's one of my biggest points, by the way. When it's Coney Island off the opening weekend, and it turns out that after the opening weekend, it then closes again for about two months because I wanted to go in and see uh, the Vietnamese man-sized rat, more feared than a sniper's bullet. I'd right. seen the poster, but it turned out I couldn't. Anyway, sorry. Back to your gerbils. Oh, please. <laughs> the Vietnamese man-sized rat. The Vietnamese man-sized rat is more feared than a sniper's bullet. Is it from bullet. Vietnam or the size of a Vietnamese man? No, no. no. <laughs> it was the one that you remember those rats that evolved to actually play Russian roulette. It was yeah. those ones. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, no. They, they apparently they would go into the foxholes. Wow. So, uh, but I, I don't know because I've never seen it. 
Like a trench rat. Yeah. Those were huge. Yeah. Wow. Um, I love a good freak show. Anyway. So this is an article actually published by the Skeptics Guide to the, to the Universe guys that someone sent in. I'm not sure who. I apologize. But, because uh, we covered a story a couple of weeks ago saying that gerbils were behind the, the Black Death. Nah, kind of bullshit. Um, that was a huge story, though. I can't. I'm not blaming us for that. No, no, I don't. It think was all over the place. It was everywhere. The bubonic plague is caused by bacteria, which is transmitted by fleas that live on rodents, including black rats. Yeah. Um, the dynamics of a multi-century plague are complex, but in simple terms, there are two main components. The bacteria must have a reservoir, a place where they live and survive from year to year. Sure. Occasionally, the bacteria gets from the reservoir into the human population, causing an outbreak. So you know what? I just see now the tragic sight of all your younger listeners now weeping in the garden over the small mound of earth <laughs> where the gerbil that yeah. their father had to kill That's with stabbed. a spade. <laughs> yeah. Why? You didn't even need to die! It's the plague. This is why you have to watch it. Right. <laughs> Look at it. Um, so there's no, there is no controversy over the fact that black rats were important and perhaps even the primary cause of the outbreaks. They spread the disease and were transported around on ships from harbour to harbour. The new study does not even address this issue. What the study does address is the long-term reservoir of the disease between outbreaks. The current dominant sure. theory is that once the plague was introduced into Europe, fleas on black rats acted as a reservoir occasionally feeding outbreaks. The new study proposes an alternate hypothesis that the plague was actually introduced into Europe not once, but multiple times from a reservoir in Asia. Um, the chain of logic here is interesting. Uh, the researchers hypothesized that a wet spring followed by a warm summer could cause a boom and bust cycle in the rodent population. They thrive during the wet spring, die off during the dry summer. Their fleas therefore explode in population during the boom, and then during the bust they look for new hosts, spreading to other species and taking the plague with them. They sought to correlate climate patterns that would cause a rodent boom and bust to historic records of outbreaks in Europe that appeared to come from outside in ports distance from any other outbreak. They found a correlation in 11 of 16 outbreaks where they had data. It's an interesting find, but hardly proof of multiple introductions of the plague to Europe as opposed to only one introduction. Further evidence such as DNA evidence from plague victims will be needed to explore this idea further. Mm -hmm. And the study does not directly implicate gerbils, although they are one possible Asian reservoir for fleas carrying the plague. Ground squirrels and Altai marmots were also mentioned, I, I don't and there are other possibilities. So this is one of these ones where the word gerbil appeared once in the study, yeah, and then right. newspapers but I also, and us. I, 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 I don't know if I trust this study because I, I don't I don't trust weather records pre fifteen hundred that people they thought the Earth was flat. I know ah, you see this is one of the you probably know this, but it's one of the the great myths is that. Most human beings. No, I know most. Yeah, I, know, I, I know. It was like that was like the equivalent of like truthers. Yeah, know, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. But what I mean is, uh, okay, you think about this with. I think about this a lot with universities. Let's say Oxford, for example, which uh, was like founded in like twelve eighteen or something. But that's one of the big draws. You know, come to Harvard. We've been here since sixteen fifty. Well, yeah, all your classes were bullshit until fifty years ago. Uh, you, 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 you taught alchemy. So, so I, I, I discard Oxford until I want to go to a college that's been, uh, you know, these crap, crappy new colleges, University of Phoenix Online, accurate the whole time. That should be the... Should be, we, we've always allowed minorities. That should be the thing. <laughs> so it's basically any, any college which is built on the perpetual ashes of all of their lecturers having been burnt for the equivalent of, uh, you know, kind of blasphemy. So all of the, any, any college which is mainly built on ashes... Sure. ...is fine. Because they spoke the truth, but therefore were, were destroyed. Therefore were yeah. obviously destroyed, yeah. I, I uh, 
Yeah. So anything that had necromancy at See, some point in it. Can't get behind it. Can't get behind <laughs> necromancy. I mean, any time most of your class, most, most of the graduating class dies from mead poisoning. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I question, I question the statistics coming out of it. I question those weather records. Yeah, but do you then for, do, you, do you go, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to bother with Newton's laws because, oh yeah, came up with those laws, spent most of his time with alchemy. I don't trust his second law at all. That's the thing. Yeah, so there's a kind of, there's a great mix. Where Have you, you not know, noticed I've floated in here? I've been ignoring Newton's laws for years, and it, it's done. No, I noticed you with a weeping Richard Dawkins outside, having snatched his pogo stick, bouncing <laughs> on him, going, I meant to do the intro to my new show about Darwin on well, that. I, boing, boing, well, boing. I was able to snag it because he was too busy pulling out a dusty book. And yeah. I was like, does this trigger a secret room? I, I'm taking your pogo stick. I'm <laughs> That would be good if, if the books they pulled out, you didn't quite know, they were always slightly go, go, I just looked at that again, and Ashley Dawkins was pulling out Star Trek memories to see the years. <laughs> right. Hello. And, and I, it's upside down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't read. I don't know if you can read. <laughs> oh, no. Using a particle physicist who just have a copy of I am Spock and I am not Spock, both <laughs> next to each other. And in many ways, that illustrates the point. It just, like it, yeah, being able to read the origin of the species and having read it is sort of the very minimum requirement for an evolutionary biologist. Would you know what? I would actually say, you say that most evolutionary biologists probably haven't read it. Most that I have spoken to, uh, they haven't read it. Sure. Interesting. Because it's 1859. It's it's sort of like, for the Jesse reason of, of not other... trusting any. Yeah, they don't, they don't trust oh, it. That's not, I'm not why saying... has it got a beard? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't trust it or things like that. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, a lot of things then were very, like, almanac-based... Um, especially trying to figure out weather patterns in Asia based on things that were being recorded in the UK for these outbreaks. It's, it's like it, it does, things like that do get a little shaky for me. I'm not talking about things like laws of physics. I would or, agree. Don't go to a university that says established 1280 and we haven't changed the curriculum since. I think that's <laughs> one of the important elements. Well, if, if Harvard were there going, we haven't changed a thing for 400 years, I'd go, hang on a minute, Harvard. Well, that'd be, a, that'd be a fun throwback, though, like the way sports teams do throwback jerseys. Have like a throwback <laughs> year at Harvard <laughs> where, where you learn necromancy, you learn alchemy. <laughs> no, no women are allowed anywhere in the building. <laughs> right, right. You learn witch hunting and taxidermy. Uh, yeah, that'd be and great. how to be a gentleman, right? Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to swap over. I'm only going to get Brian Cox because I know we've got. Uh, oh, wonderful! Oh, okay. So do you want to stay here, and I'll go and get Brian. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Robin, thank you so much. Oh, I'm going to come back and annoy you. Don't worry. Well, yeah. we've only just started on the, uh, the science, but we can. Yeah, but we, I mean, we we're we're good with your schedule. We can, you know. I paid for parking. I've got to split some new. Hey, that was Robin Ince. That was fun, huh? That was nice. I, yeah, be- I bet that was fun. <laughs> oh, well, you just listened to it. We sat here and played it on speakers out loud. Sounds fun. Um, so we have Brian Cox in a minute. We're going to, uh, Matt and I, talk to him for a second. But, uh, you know, we have some people to thank. Sometimes people donate to the show, like we said before. Um, that's by going to probablyscience at gmail.com. Yeah, who do we have to thank, Jesse? Or, you mean going to probablyscience.com? Yeah, you can email us at probablyscience at gmail.com oh, or uh, go to probablyscience.com, click the donate button. Uh, oh, well, actually, that is the account we use. That is for the, the account. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll take it yeah. back. Yeah. Um, so we have some people to thank, um, and we're going to do it. Paul Freeland set up a monthly donation. Something you can also do. Thank you, Paul. Paul, very, uh, very nice view. Lindsay Iserman, hope we're pronouncing that right. Set up a new, uh, new monthly. Thank it's like you. A different spelling of uh, the great Detroit Red Wings hockey player. Sure, sure. Uh, you're talking Sergey Fedorov. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is a weird spelling. Spell and pronounce names different. Yeah, Cyrillic, man. It gets yeah. weird. Yeah. Uh, Caroline Laco, 
uh, uh, long time listener, long time listener, long time listener, um, has a monthly donation going and that, uh, that came through. Of course, we, Caroline, we really appreciate it. How about Zach Kirchberg? What's going on with that guy? How hmm? about him? How about him? Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Uh, I dig it. I was, you know, lived, lived very close to you for a while there, Zach. Um, Zach had a very generous donation. We, we really like to appreciate, uh, yeah, we really I, like to appreciate. We do like to appreciate. Pledge week. <laughs> you get an iPod with, uh, Miles Davis live. You get all the. How about this next this next donation? I, I will never forget. I'll never forget it's a it either. Very unforgettable number yes. that that person has sent. Guys, through. never Thank forget. You. Never forget. Thank you, David. Weingart. Thank you, David Weingart. Thank you, David. We uh, we really appreciate it. Um, also, super generous guys. We should discuss this. Uh, Allison Dennis. Of Allison course. Dennis, super generous. Um, she also, also sent. Yeah. Sent in a theme song, which is that, was that the theme song you heard at the top of this episode, or is that one you'll hear next week? You're going to hear it next week. Next week, okay. You're going to hear it next week, but I've already written back to Allison, and she does put ours to shame. We've got two theme songs loaded up, actually, haven't we? We've got Allison's, and there's another one. We've gotten a total of eight or ten, and I don't think we've used them all yet, so... All right, we'll uh, need to... Some of them do suck total ass. I'm not going to agree with that, but (laughs) I'm not going to disagree with that. Okay, you're going to nod while you say you don't agree with that? (laughs) Can I go behind the scenes here? No, dude, some of them are fucking awful. You guys are untalented douche. Oh, Most of you are great, though. The like 99% of you guys. Go, uh, take their own time. Take their own time take to put a Casio drum beat behind our already recorded <laughs> fucking... Fuck you. But most of you are great. Most of you are wonderful, and if you want to do a cover, of course, send it on in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and we'll give it a listen. You know, if you're any good at all... <laughs> Again, do it. If you have Jesse, any loud and clear. Any what? basic... If you've heard all our right, song okay. before... <laughs> We'll play it. You know what I mean? But if you're an alien trying to sound human, then, you know, maybe not. We also got a very generous donation from Michelle Belenke from uh, Reisterstown, Maryland. Reisterstown. Reisterstown. Reisters? Reisters? I think that's right. So that's going to be, wait, Maryland. So that's going to be, did you say Belenke? That's how I said it. How that's going to be Belenke, right? Sure. If it's out there? Not sure. I don't know. Michelle, write us in. Tell us the deal. Um, just the trademark also Baltimore if you've donated we haven't said this in a while if you've donated um, longer than a week ago and we you, haven't I need you I need you I need to make you see what, what you, you do to me. me I don't know what to, why, until why we I do I'm telling you no one else oh Michelle okay I, mm. now I'm back to okay. <laughs> were you saying Matt I was saying if you have donated <laughs> if you did donate more than a more than a week ago and we are yet to thank you that means that the email somehow got lost or you got missed off the list when we were copying and pasting uh, so don't feel like you're being rude at all just to drop us a line and go, hey, we I donated and I think you forgot me because we'd like to thank everyone who sent it. We really money. do. We really do. We yeah. really, really appreciate it. And we sometimes screw up. Um, so just let us know. And the other thing is if you can't donate, the other way you can hugely help our show and show us support is just to spread the word. I know a lot of you guys do that. Um, tweeting, Facebooking, just telling people if, you know, you've got a friend who, you know, likes listening to podcasts and doesn't know about our show. There's some NPR thing that you can fill out. Yes, there pa- is. Paulo told just... us about that. Uh, Paulo Saiz Navarro told us about that. Yeah, we'll put a link to that on probablyscience.com. Yep. There is, NPR has just put out a thing asking, hey, what podcast do you guys listen to and what are your favorite episodes? Send it in to us and we're trying to compile some kind of database Absolutely. or list. So, so what, you go in there, fill out Probably Science. When it says favorite episode, put in Matt and Jesse. And uh, <laughs> yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely do that. But yeah, that really that helps us out. I know when the AV Club put out something similar just at the end of last year, a few of you wrote in and 
I think that's largely the reason why we've now been covered by them a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. That really helps. Let's um, let's yeah. go to the second half of this interview. Brian Cox, let's do it. All right. Yeah, it's good to be here. <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, that's all right. Pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, I've been sitting in as well. Oh, about 10 minutes. So oh, that's oh, perfect. Yeah. Let's, let's, we that, were going to... That's totally fine. Yeah, I don't know if Robin's rejoining us. We were covering some stories, but I kind of want to talk about like what science or what actual... Do you still get to do research, or are you too busy... Yeah, interestingly, I mean, what I do is I lecture um, yeah. in the autumn term. So I lecture undergraduates at Manchester in the fall term. And the, the reason is, one of the reasons I like doing it, actually, so I teach quantum mechanics and relativity to first years. But the other reason is that that means that I'm in Manchester, so I'm in my office. So I, cause I have to be, because I've got to teach. Yeah, so yeah. that means that I can do research. I can kind of ring fence nice. quite a lot of that term, the, the first semester, if you want to call it that, from kind of September to December yeah, to yeah. do stuff. So, and actually, interestingly, and coincidentally, the last paper that I published was a unusually for me very technical so I did it in collaboration with so I'm, I'm an, initially an experimental particle physicist right so my PhD etc was doing particle physics experiments analysing data firstly um, an accelerator called uh, DAISY in Hamburg which is an electron proton collider then a Tevatron in Chicago which is a proton yeah, yeah. and then an LHC and um at CERN and, uh, but then I did some stuff called phenomenology which is kind of taking the theory and trying to understand how to um, what you could measure to be able to interrogate the theory so that's more theoretical phenomenology then, phenomenology that phenomenology. does sound like something like a magician from the 80s well it is a bit yeah it's a bit and, and then finally um, the, I did just this paper and the reason is because I got into an argument with our guest tonight Sean Carroll who is a oh, yeah. cosmologist who's been on our show a while was it an argument a, a debate you're going to just push the door shut because there seems to be a truck yeah, reversing the well, outside well it's yeah. so, so we, got, we got into a debate about um, about uh, some this is in a way the interpretation of quantum mechanics so no, nobody disagrees with the theory um, but we're going to debate about um, how what's called causality uh, happens in quantum mechanics really so it's essentially that in standard quantum mechanics just the standard Schrodinger sure. stuff non, what's called non-relativistic quantum mechanics non-relativistic quantum mechanics okay. then, then um, you, you can take a, an electron let's say um, or let's say this, let's say you've got two hydrogen atoms. Okay. Right? And let's say that they're separated by um, a light year. Okay. Then standard quantum theory says it doesn't matter. Uh, you, you've got to take account of the fact there are two hydrogen atoms in the universe. And so the, the way that the electrons go into those hydrogen atoms has to be slightly different. And they, they, they're essentially, they're aware of each other in a in terrible language. But they're, they're, they're not complete to be treated completely independently, okay. irrespective of how far apart they are. Even though they're a full layer apart. Yes, so they're not to be treated separately. Now, now that's, um, it's a very old problem, this. It goes back to Einstein, it's called the UPR paradox. He didn't like the, the, this idea, he called it spooky action at a distance. Niels Bohr wrote quite a few papers on, on this, never resolved. See, I always treat them differently. When, I, when I'm out on the town and bump into two hydrogen atoms... Which I you always, do a lot. I do, and I always prefer one, you know, and then I sort of treat the other one bad, because I, you know... So, so the debate we got into was, is, is that true in what's called quantum field theory, which, right. is, the, which is the modern version of the relativity incorporated? Is that true? 
Um, and the answer is don't know, didn't know, don't know. So, so the last paper I published, to get back to your initial question, is, is the beginnings of an attempt to, to get quantum field theory to address that question. And it's a horrendous paper. It's about 35 pages of scribble, of, of, which, of which, you know, the four of us worked on it, and we each understood a little bit, and I understood less than most. And none of us, I think, understand it all. So there, the f- there, there are more, we do, we, there's more papers coming out. And this is always often the way research actually you often um you, when you first do something you don't really quite understand it so you publish it and then you you know you get better at it and you get better it. so it's, it's right. kind of interesting so i don't know where it's going to lead really it's kind of interesting but it's out there it's published it's called manifest uh manifest causality in quantum field theory and that's you and it's sean carroll no no it's not sean it's not it's myself and jeff forshaw who's a professor at manchester and then two two um postdocs so are you and sean Still disagreeing on this? I think we still disagree. I think. Is there going to be a clash this evening? Well, no, we might mention it for fun. But the great thing, though, is that in in a debate that started as a result of a book that I wrote with my colleague Jeff Forshaw and then a television lecture, where you obviously oversimplify it on television, as a result of that, there has been some research done, which is, I think is really cool, because it's the reverse of the usual public presentation yeah. of science. It's actually stimulated some real research with some real postdocs doing real stuff and a real paper being published. And I, I think the jury's still out. I think, I think we, do, we don't understand it still. It's not understood. But there you go. It's cool. That's great. That's incredible. And, uh, <clears throat> and the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, is about to... Or has it's it about started up, or is it about to restart with more energy than before? Yeah, which is still... Um, Less than its design, it was really? it ran at half energy in the run where it discovered the Higgs. Really? Uh, yes, yeah, so it ran at um, three. Yeah, it, it's designed to run at what's called fourteen TV collision energy, and it ran at about seven um, for that. But just because, well, partly um, to do with the, the, the safety mechanism. You know, the, the accident years ago when the when the weird, just a snap, just suddenly that when so you started talking on. about weird. So part of the mm. all of a sudden water started to flow out of the sea. So, so, so come on, on. So, so <laughs> time, it, was a, it, it was just a yeah. So it ran at half energy essentially is the point. But, it, but that was enough. It turned out to discover the Higgs. Um, but wow. the, the the more energy you have, the more likely you are to produce things like Higgs particles. So the more you get, and so the more you can study them. So it's, of course, it's is the Higgs completely confirmed now? Is that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely a new particle there, and it's definitely the mass you'd expect the Higgs to be, and it definitely behaves like the so-called standard model Higgs. But it's possible that it's it, it's a more there are more complicated Higgs sectors, as we call it. So, the, for example, there's a theory called the minimally supersymmetric standard model, which has five Higgs particles rather than one. So, so, so we need to make sure that it's exactly it behaves exactly like we'd expect. And then, you know, that that, that part of the theory it's not understood. In, in a in a deep sense, it's it, this is the beginnings of the understanding. There are big, there are questions then about how the Higgs particles got there, why the, why the Higgs field is the way that it is, all those things which require you know investigation basically. So so the, the, what you have to do is make a lot of Higgs particles and watch them and, and detect them, and which will be easier to do now. It's coming now. It's being turned back on energy, higher energy. More collisions, you know, it'll run. It's only taken about one percent of its design data, the LHC. So it's got. You know, a long way to go wow. in terms of precision 
narrowing it down, is that the only Higgs? Does it behave exactly like we expect in the theory? All that stuff. No, if you, and I know we only have you for a second, if it, but if you, if, if you don't mind me asking, because I'm the idiot of the show, uh, the one that we The Robin Inns of the... Yes, I'm the Robin Inns of our show. Um, uh, hope, that's a goal for me, hopefully one day. Um, uh, I'm, I'm far worse than that. Um, I, uh, how does a particle accelerator work? I mean, I know it's so layman, but really how... Really simple. Yeah. It's, it's basically, it was easier when we had old television sets. Because oh, basically, okay. the old television, a cathode ray tube is what it basically is. Okay, got it. And, and so the, it's an old television set worked like a, a wire, basically heated up, electrons come off it, and you have some magnets that grab those electrons, and you can accelerate them and make them into a beam and make... Interesting. Make paint on the screen, essentially, which yeah. is what an old TV set. And it's basically that. It's just okay. a big version of that. Okay. Uh, the LHC, we have protons in instead of electrons, but it's the same thing. They're just charged particles, and you want to control them into beams with magnets and accelerate them with uh, what we call RF cavity. So you can imagine the same radio frequency technique where they right. surf on the waves of yeah. the radio. You imagine this radio wave, and they can right. surf with them, and that's how you accelerate them. But it's, not, it's no different, really, to an old television set. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I, I have no idea what I've been imagining in my head. As what what the inside of the hadron looks just, like? It's just a big two big vacuum tubes inside some magnets. Really, is what it is. Okay, and they go around you know sixteen miles. Well, it just happens to be the size of a medium city. Yeah, sixteen miles around. Most of it's in France, actually. A little bit in Switzerland. Because yeah, I I, um, I figured we could build one. Well, you did. You, you, well, you being America. No, no, just me. No, I think in the. I mean, you know, we'll pop down to Home Depot. We can build one in the backyard. Well, you could build. You, can. you could build at home with like a, a mini particle accelerator, right? You can, yeah, yeah, you can build. Yeah, I mean, an old TV set, you can do it. You've got an electron beam in there. Wow. So, so it, the problem, really, the difficult bit is the vacuum. You've got to, if you don't have it in a vacuum, that, then you just suck all the air out. Then the beam will just collide with the air. Oh yeah. So that's the kind of issue. So that, that's what the more tricky bit, really. Wow. Anyways. And last thing, Brian, because uh, we know we only have you for a, split, a, a nanosecond here, um, what, what, uh, what's on the horizon? What do you have coming up? I know you guys are doing this tour right now, um, which has been awesome. I know you're here tonight in San Francisco tomorrow. Yeah. What's, uh, what's coming up? Uh, for me, I am making a new BBC series um, awesome. called Forces of Nature at the moment. It might change, but that's what it's called at the moment. But it's, it's great. It's a new kind of thing for me because usually my TV series... I just finished one called Human Universe, which okay. was already in the UK. It's my favourite of, of the ones I've yeah. by by a mile. And I think it's going to be on Science Channel, but it'll be cut down a bit because it's not an hour long and stuff like that. So I don't sure. know what it'll look like on the Science Channel, really. But um, that'll be on, though, here. Nice. Um, and then uh, but I think the new universe will be on on the science channel yeah but I think they might have called it something else and I don't know what they, 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 who knows but right. you can, if you want the full BBC one you can always get the Blu-ray of course, of so, course. Um, and then um, and then uh, I've got this new one but it's more like a, almost like a, the, the David Attenborough model of, of making television where I'm not really going to be there very much <laughs> so I'm going to voice it and narrate it and write it yeah but it's, it's based on really beautiful Photography, trying to illustrate physical principles, trying to illustrate of physics. So that, that, there's that. So and and then um, yeah, I do some physics back lecturing in the autumn. And uh, nice. And then, do these um, students know that they're getting you as their first year lecturer. Oh yeah. Oh, you know Manchester University. The University of Manchester is one of the things we. Of course, yeah. so you come to Manchester. 
I don't know what competition they managed to though, because also we, we won the Nobel Prize for physics about three years, three years ago now for I graphene. So, oh, so, oh, oh wow! So yeah. I didn't realize Boston. graphene was Manchester. It was Manchester. So, so wow. those both those two the Nobel Prize winners, Andre and Kostya, are there as well. So we've got a big nice. draw. So some of the physics departments. It's going great, guys. Yeah, we've got two Nobel Prizes. Wow. Yeah. Oasis plays the parties. Come <laughs> to Manchester <laughs> University. Wow. Well, that's great, man. Well, uh, Brian, we really appre- break a leg tonight. Thank you. And we really appreciate you having you on and stuff. Yeah. Just trying to, you know, keep everything in time here. I don't know what's going on. I have to go pay for parking at some point. Yeah, we better go. And then uh, I think the guys will be there to rehearse the song now. It's going to be worth watching. Oh, yeah. You're going to watch the Monkey Cage song? Uh, when you say the guys, who is that? That would be um, Jeff Lynn, Eric Idle, and <laughs> yeah, we'll Jeff Never heard of any. They're, they're a band. They formed a band called the Cheeky Monkeys, and and Jeff Jeff thinks it might be his big break. Great, um, you know. Cause yeah, yeah, he needs yeah, a break. yeah. Those guys need breaks. I think he needs a break. And God, I hope it. I hope it pulls through for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping he gets right of it. Because <laughs> well, <laughs> he's only sold 50 million albums, so I think you know. No, no, no. I mean, like you know, I mean, 15 million nowadays is what. 50, I mean, more like nothing. 50, isn't it? Yeah, 50 yeah. million nothing. nowadays is nothing. Nothing with I mean, inflation. Like, I mean, I think about my comedy CD sold probably a good two or three hundred. Right. Yeah. So you're you're beating those guys for so sure. That's pretty similar. And Eric had, had, had you know used to be in a famous comedy group. No, in the UK. Never no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, but um, that never really crossed the pond. No yeah. one here has ever heard of. And then know. Jeff had that band with you know the George Harrison and nope. Dylan and things. Like nothing. Nothing. Yeah. None of these things are really well. None of these things just. Yeah, but we should go give those guys a well wish. Let's give these lucky young upstarts the G up that they need. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Thanks. Yeah, man. Have an amazing show. Boy, was that ever a good time. That was a lot of fun. Oh, man. Robin, then Brian. Woo! And then Brian showed us on his phone the rehearsal of the song, which I guess listen to the Infinite Monkey Cage and you'll hear the recorded live version of the song. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when I called or texted you to find out how it went, you were like, I can't talk. Jeff Lynn is on stage right now. With- Playing the banjo. Oh, God. Yeah, and then I think, so ma- I believe I just put the phone on speakerphone and went, hey, Andy. I'm a big ELO fan. I don't know if we talked about I, ELO. Yeah, I'm a huge ELO fan, and I think I weirded Jeff Lynn out, too. Because <laughs> I was met just, Jeff Lynn? Yeah, but that God, was just... Why did this happen to be the week I was gone? Like this, I don't even that care. Was just- Matt doesn't even care about this shit. What do you mean he doesn't care about this no, shit? No, I don't care about Jeff Lynn, I don't think. Do you? I don't I'm, it's I, Jeff I, Lynn. I was not. I was nowhere near as big Vocoder an ELO champion, fan as you Jeff are, but <laughs> he's still ELO and he's still a Wilbury, so yeah. I'm still pretty. But everyone thinks of him as the Wilbury who was lucky to get in there. Where like I think he's probably better than one or two Wilburys. But I just really I stared too much. <laughs> I just stared at yeah. Jeff Lynn for a while. Um, so but, hey, that was a fun episode. It's weird that we queued it up and sat here and listened to the whole thing again. We could have just recorded all this at once and split it up yeah. in post. Next time we'll do that. Yeah. But that was great. I'm glad we all got to re-listen to it together mm-hmm. and remember everything that happened, definitely. We'll be back next week with a more standard everyone in the same room together recording a one-go episode. But as before, if you want to donate, you can go to probablyscience.com. That's also where our Amazon shopping link is. Mm-hmm. If you have an old car or boat that you're not using, we've set up a car <laughs> and boat deposit. Uh, it's a tax write-off, and we come pick it up. So um, that's probably... we will probably sci- send you a box set uh, DVD compilation of the Fire Sign Theater. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> everyone's absolutely. And the sketch comedy group, everyone's parents can agree on. If you donate five thousand dollars or more, you will get a custom Christmas stocking that says "Probably Science." Mm-hmm. Um, Ten thousand dollars—that's of course our premium elite level—and you get a preloaded ten megabyte iPod. With um, Dizzy Gillespie's <laughs> best solos, uh, <laughs> ten minutes of Dizzy Gillespie's solos. It is worth it, as capacity allows. Uh, questions, comments, clarifications. Probably science at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probably science. You can find us probably science on Facebook. Hey, do you like um, the ice capades? How about two tickets? <laughs> huh? Twenty thousand dollar donation. That's our gold elite winged level. Subscribe on iTunes if you're not already subscribing. Write nice things about us on the internet. We appreciate those things, and it helps more people find us, helps bump us up in the rankings, as does subscribing, particularly through your phone for some reason. But in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us. Spread the word. Be nice to each other. Go do science. Bye. Bye. Bye.